Oh, hi. Hi, y'all. Hi, everybody. It's Fernell Miller. And Dr. Jen Self. <laughs> I'm Erin Jones, and we are here to talk about all the things today. We're going to cover a lot. Fernell, give oh. us a list of all the things that we're going to talk about today and probably oh, more. My but... Oh, my goodness. The um, right to comfort uh, characteristic we're going to cover today. And You've been talking about this on King Five News because of the verdict and what um, what uh, white supremacy culture tells us as oh if we would if they would just do what they were told if they just get back in their box if they just if they just if they just meaning I would love to see the exact opposite turntables of all those situations with uh, of black people um, the upside down with white skin and then let me hear you say we would just we can't even get people to just wear their mask so stop it huh. and um we are um talking about the talk that black parents have with their children to be able to come home uh, each day after they leave the house and what would that look like what would that look like if white parents had to have that talk um, somebody needs to have that talk with America. And we um, are referencing an article that we saw on Facebook today from, um, it is, Black Parents Give Their Kids the Talk, What If White Parents Did Too, by David Janney, J-A-N-E-Y, David W. Janney, um, from April 12th. And I'll find what paper I'm looking at, but... Um, just lots of food for thought, lots of things to talk about, and so we can dive in anywhere. Um, we yeah, this has been a heavy week. Um, very. It's interesting when we look back exactly a year ago. I mean, it was a heavy week, but um, this with the trial coming to a close and the verdict coming out, but at the same time, you have Dante being murdered, and then you have Makia being murdered as the verdict is being read. Literally, she's being killed in Columbus. And, um, you know, as you two know, I was born in the Twin Cities, Minnesota, but I also lived, I had my baby in Columbus. So it's just so weird, like all the, I'm like, enough with the ties already, okay? Enough with the connections. Like, I just don't wanna be connected to any of these stories anymore. Um, but just all of those things. And, um, and so this has been a really heavy week and I think the sad thing is, you know, for a lot of white people, this is what I worry about a bit. And I, I worried about this as I was on King Five News this week. It's easy for white people right now to celebrate and say, look at how far we've arrived. Look what happened. And yay. But for Hello, those of us. And welcome to our podcast. I think all there was a the much things. more somber response. And, and we're here and to almost talk about all the things. That Okay. Faith, politics, race, gender, all accountability, but off the table. We're going to talk about those things. And, um, Again, we needed a reminder it happened to all the things coming out. Let's get started right. with today's episode. Wow, we have we really haven't moved. Um, so there's a little bit of accountability for this person, but I think there are a couple of things that really are stressing me out right now. Days after, like I felt pretty composed on the day of and the day after, fortunately, when I was on the news, I felt pretty composed. But by the next day, I was so upset that Derek Chauvin had been accused of this kind of thing before, like so many times. He'd already had complaints made against him before. And he gets three weeks 
to prove his innocence. And George Floyd got no time, nor did the other people that made the complaints. Like none of them. Who was being uh, compliant. How, how can you resist when you're handcuffed and on the ground? We're not, we're, what, we're not compliant at that point? Yeah. And, and then we couldn't. It's, <clears throat> yeah. it's just sick. It's sick. And, and I was thinking too about Dante Wright and running back to his car. And I thought, you know what? We know fight or flight. Like we know this. All of us have been trained that bodies, human bodies, they Will. freeze or they fight flight. or they fly. They run, mm -hmm. right? And, and so we get so surprised when somebody runs and why do they run? Because they're terrified of police. <laughs> they run for good reason because you shoot at them. And guess what? You did, you did, which is exactly why people run because even if you don't run, there's a chance you could die, but you're gonna try to run. Anyway, I just, as a mom, I really have been wrestling with that the last few days and it just made me sad and heavy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The quote here I have from the article is the difference between black and white in America is as stark as the difference between quote thuggish behavior mm. and youthful indiscretion as stark as the difference between Tamir Rice and Dylan Roof. Mm. Or Kyle Rittenhouse, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, thing. same thing. Yeah. And I think about schools and all the times that little black boys would do something and they would get thrown out of their classrooms and then little white boys, boys will be boys, boys will be boys. And I'm like, wait, they did the same stinking thing. Like I just watched it. They did the same thing, but somehow that, that little black boy is a criminal already at 12. He's already, you're seeing him as a criminal and a bad boy. And that little white boy gets the benefit of the doubt. He's just being a little, he's being a 12 year old boy. No, they're both being 12 year old boys, but somehow not only have we adultified the black boy, but we've also criminalized him. <clears throat> I just wrote um, the unchallenged crime of of police killing black people is called and then you insert the name and then that victim is criminalized as a justification for police to continue yeah. to kill black people. Mm. I mean, yeah. substitute an animal and we wouldn't even be in a trial. We There would just be swift. That's what's so hurtful is the, the, how inhumane we are to black humanity. That we, it doesn't even equate to animal kingdom. Yeah, I read it. I read an article, it was actually a piece on Medium. I, I was looking for it. I can't find it right this second, but, but um, it was about uh, it was about the the system and how easy it would be to actually to take care of a lot of what's happening right now, which would be holding some of these sergeants and lieutenants yeah. and captains accountable for the behavior of the officers, rather than just going after the officer. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, because because just like you said, Chauvin had had a number of different incidents. So who's watching? Years. <laughs> yeah, and oh, and and the, the this article was this article was brilliant because they used the bad apple metaphor, and then they did this whole this whole thing about bad apples spoiling spoiling the whole barrel and the rotten barrel. It was it was a great it was great. They just took that thing and went with it and just talked about we we've got to get rid of these lieutenants and captains and hold all of these people accountable, not not just the, the officer who's done this thing. 
because everybody's holding up that system. One that, and I just remember, you know, reading about the woman who shot Dante, right? And she was a trainer. So, you know, all these, I, I ended up engaging because I was on the news. I had a bunch of people reach out in private message, never in public. Not, not one of the people who were critical reached out in public. They all reached out in private message. And um, I had one person say, well, you know, I, my whole family is police and we just think she needed to be retrained. Well, she's the trainer. She'd right. been training people. Right. She'd been in the force for 26 years. She doesn't need retraining. Like training was not her problem. She made a choice when she gonna, saw him. Yeah. We're gonna retrain the racism. That's what we've been trying to do and, and y'all won't comply. <laughs> and, and if we would just comply, but you won't comply with dealing with your the racist history and behavior uh, education, uh, denial, um, willful ignorance. I mean, there's a preponderance of evidence. You have to, you have to just, there's no reason why you can't know. We can know more than we ever can with our internet super high. We can know everything. And so not to know is being, you know, right. choosing not to. And, you know, you, you get to, but then don't open your mouth. Don't carry a gun. Don't be ignorant on the street. And yeah. So I'm curious for now, when when did you have the talk with your boys? When was the, do you remember the first time you had the talk with your boys? Mm -hmm. Uh-huh, yep. And exactly where we were living and exactly on the steps, they were entering um, Montessori school at four, five years old and about um, their behavior and teacher compliance and how much power white teachers have over black bodies. And I have two beautiful bouncing boys who are gymnasts and um, creative and drum set. Uh, Kevin, my oldest, has this um, thing. He would tap on everything. He has this rhythm inside of him. Um, I was an aerobic instructor when he was born, so he knows all the 80s music. Came out <laughs> like that. And so he came out tapping and touching everything and I mean is I'm like okay who, how do I how, what do I do with this and I took him to the music store and just let him walk around da, 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 and then and then um the drum set came home with us I'm like oh that's what that is and set it up under his bed and all of that but can you imagine I mean uh, here I am flourishing his inner person and what's naturally in him. And then I have to go tell him to glue his hands to his side. Mm -hmm. um, don't um, tap your foot. Uh, don't pick up your pencil and start drumming. Do, I mean, like I had to do training, like stop it. Don't be, don't be who you are. How do you do that? And then uh, again, when they became, um, got their permits, um, and then I purposely got them passports, passports for their uh, 21 or 18 or so um, birthday or Christmas to give them the sense of you may move about the country as you damn well please. I, 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 to keep their mind unlocked while you have to keep your body locked down is next to impossible. And I, I don't know, I, we, we watched trainings. Um, my, my, my brother worked with them, um, when they were going places, when they were going to go out somewhere, we had to have a whole training. We had to do a little 
mock, you know, going out and practice and what we would say. And all, I mean, every situation, we can just open the door and bye, see you later. That never, never, never happened. It's still not happening. They're 26 and 27 and we're still talking about it. I'm still scared for him to go out and take a run around our neighborhood. I'm like, I, that's never, ever not on my mind in the talk. And we don't talk yeah, anymore. My... It's the look. It, it's, he, you know, he went out and came back to the house. We didn't even have to say anything. That That's eye contact. That's a 15-minute conversation about, yep, I know, Mom. Mm-hmm. Yep. Gonna go change my clothes. Oh, gotta take off my hood. Mm, oh, wait. <sighs> Impossible. Ridiculous. Expectation. Now, my boys were, my boys were two and four when we had the first conversation because their dad got pulled over and we had to explain what was happening and how they needed to respond. Um, yeah, and he already had a master's degree at that point and a Bible college degree. He had three degrees at that point. So, you know, for all of you that think if they're just polite and if they just mm -hmm. have degrees mm -hmm. and do my husband is a pastor at the time, mm -hmm. um, like none of that matters. I, I remember when my parents moved here about 11 years ago and we watched, Oprah had done this special. I don't know if you all have seen it, but it's called Dark Girls. And it's about having dark skin. And I was really sick one day. I was working at OSPI. So it was about 13, probably about 13 years ago. And my parents said, you should just come stay with us and we'll take care of you like mom and dad because I was really sick. And my mom had saved the Dark Girls video. And so we all watched it together. And my dad never watches girly stuff. Like he doesn't do documentaries unless they're about war like he just doesn't like that stuff but he stayed and watched and when it finished i turned and he was just like tears streaming down his face and he said wow have you had he said i i just we never had to have that talk in europe and i i don't know how you do it and then he got up from his chair and he said i don't know if we did the right thing adopting you because we didn't prepare you for this. And he walked out of the room and I knew, oh yeah, we're not talking about that. He's done, he's done. But um, yeah, it was so hard for my parents when they moved back here to watch how my boys were treated and to watch how I was treated. And um, to know, I think for my dad especially, to know that he can't protect them. That's the worst thing for my, they're just terrified that they can't protect their grandchildren. and. Um, yeah, Jen, I know you and I have talked about this. Yeah. What are the conversations that you've had with your daughter? Um, well, we started talking about, uh, we started talking about race and skin color, as, I mean, really as soon as she was born. Um, because we figure, I mean, the way I thought about it is that I knew that, I knew that there was gonna be so much that she was taught that was gonna be unconscious for her that I wanted to get a start on having this conversation. And so, um, so we would, I, we, I would just talk about things as we were reading books and, and so we would do that. But I think the first like conscious conversation I had about the different, the difference of about how people were treated, she was probably three, three years old, three or four. And it was because of the preschool she went to. Um, she went to the Pike, the Pike Market um, preschool that has a, a social justice agenda and, um, and there was something going on with one of the little boys um, in her class. He's black, and and she, I was talking about how um, 
about how in the world that he was going to get, he was probably going to be treated differently and that his behavior in the classroom right, right now, he was just having fun. He was like bubbly and really, and that, and that, that was a way that often when, when black boys get to school, older school, that they often get treated like they're doing something wrong. And I said, you know, you're, you're not going to be treated that way. Probably, probably you're going to be just maybe told to be quiet or that you're disrupting, but you're not going to be told that you're doing something wrong and treated like you are a bad person or a criminal and he might be treated that way. And so his parents are probably having really different conversations and we just, that's when we started and we've had conversations continuing. Um, and we've talked a lot about like what to do if you're, if you're with your friend and a police show up how to how you could be how to, how to be an ally to them what how to how to talk to the police when the police come and all of that so nice um. mm -hmm. going back to Fresnel, you talked at the very beginning about comfort um i'm going to make a connection here that i see you know white people get uncomfortable with these conversations and with us talking about even about how we talk to our children and you know maybe maybe your children get more anxious because you've had this conversation with them and maybe you should just teach them to respect police and first of all i don't have a black friend who's not taught their children to respect police i don't mm. have one i don't have one um no i've worked in spaces before when i did work with gangs um years ago i've worked in spaces where there's not respect for police and for a lot of reasons there's a lot of reasons but um for the most part all of my friends teach their family members to be polite and to show respect and to comply. And so the suggestion even by so many white people this last week that if George Floyd, if Dante Wright had just complied, is just such BS to me because I've seen so many examples on cop show, just other videos of white people doing the opposite of complying with police. And they, they just had this, um, I can't remember, but someone just, got pulled over the other day and there was a viral video of this white man like with a knife and like stabbing at police and he still made it alive i mean every mass murderer has been brought in alive and so how is it that right. those folks can get away with being brought in alive and somebody with a counterfeit a 20 dollar bill a counterfeit 20 dollar bill um somebody with a, a drug crime on their record somehow loses their life um, and and these people who shoot multiple people in a space somehow get to keep their lives. I mean, I just, that's the part that just, it baffles me. It ba and how do I prepare my children for that? And I have one, like for now, I have the drummer. So my my son that sings, well, they both sing, but my son that's really a singer is also AD, severely ADD. So he doesn't even realize he's drumming. Mm -hmm. He just, he just, so no matter how much we chain him, <laughs> It doesn't matter. He's out on the rugby field singing because he didn't even know he's doing it. It's just natural. And he got in trouble all the time. My other son is autistic. So um, even though he's developed more coping mechanisms, he's more aware of himself now, there are ways that he just can't, as much as he wants to comply, if you're asking him to do something that doesn't make sense and you're actually accusing him of something he knows he hasn't done, he can't comply like like mm -hmm. that's part of his autism that he can't if you're telling him he sped and he knows he's been watching the speedometer and he wasn't speeding he's gonna tell you you're wrong and how's that gonna go over at six foot four 
How's that going to go over for him, right? And these are the things that we stress out about. I mean, he's in graduate school for darn sake. He's a second year grad student at USC. And why should I have to be afraid? But I, I am afraid for him and he won't drive on the freeway for this reason. He will not, he'll only drive in town to the store a mile away and back. That is the only place that he's driving right now. And the other connection to the discomfort is the discomfort of um, white people is causing death. Yes. I, I mean, yes. I, uh, yeah, I can't even say it a different way. It's your discomfort and then you call for your weapon and we're weaponized and then and then there's our livelihood life reputation and literal life because you've been trained to um, hate blackness and be fearful and it's a threat and you have not you know if you haven't if you haven't um, developed your own identity to know who you are in a relationship with someone or anyone different from you especially a black person then you are living inside of that that, that fear, that stereotype, that uh, uh, behavior that you think I should comply to what's in your head. Mm. And I don't live there in your head. Mm. I don't live inside your racist law of, I, of your, I don't live inside your fear. And so when you show up and then are just uncomfortable, gosh, I'm uncomfortable too, but my discomfort isn't going to cause your death. That's right. Um, I've asked my, my, my younger brother, we've lived in, um, you know, Kenmore Bothell area for 40 plus years. And I, I've stopped asking him, you know, how many times, you know, he gets pulled over or how many times a month. And I mean, we, we know the, you know, police force by name and all, uh, started with the first encounter when he was working at the YMCA and, um, He's standing out on the curb waiting with a white child for their parent to pick up. He's in a red, bright red YMCA, you know, all over his chest, staff on the back and uh, discomfort white neighborhood, you know, calls the police on him. And so now he's sitting on the curb in handcuffs with the child waiting for the parent to come while he's at work trying to keep a white child safe no. and being... So my dad would go to the police station and do the training there himself. He educated the community about uh, blackness in his family who's living here. Remember I told you he did that when we first moved to Washington and he's had to do, I mean, th this is 20 years later and he's still doing it for my brother. And so the answer now for him is when have I, how long can I go? How many days can I go without being pulled over, stopped, you know, in, in a five, 10 mile radius from our house? Because suspicion, I don't know, you have a too nice of a car and you sh maybe shouldn't live around here. The, the husband I had drove a BMW, worked at the bank. He's been on the hood of the car. Uh, all the, <laughs> my father, my brothers, my husband, my sons have all had to be on the side and comply at, um, you know, handcuff, gunpoint, flashlight, something in living in the, in this 10 mile radius of this town. I mean, we don't even drive through. Um, I don't know if I should say, like my my son will call me and say, gosh, I, I, I'm coming from this area. I've got to drive through. Can you meet me here? 
And then we meet and drive through together because we can't trust that we'll get out of this, you know, two mile neighborhood with our, with our lives. <laughs> this is here, Washington, 2021. I'm like, stop it. Don't think this isn't real. How many times, you know, at your dinner table, are you talking about being pulled over or being uh, accused or threatened or had encounters or just even anything with law enforcement? Any of you at your table? How many years can you go without talking about that? Our households, we don't, we don't go, we don't go a day. Yeah. Jen, what can white people do about this? Like what, do you have some ideas about like, if you were to witness a black person getting pulled over by police or yeah. hear these stories, what, what could white people do? Well, I, yeah, actually, I, I mean, I have, I have witnessed that and I've stopped and, and I, I just waited until <clears throat> I waited across the street um, and just waited. I didn't, I, I didn't film. I just waited until the, until the call cleared and, and the man was able to drive away. Yeah. Um, and if anything had started happening, I would have filmed, I would have started filming um, and, and gotten out of my car probably. Um, then the police came over to, to check what I was doing. Um, and I just said, I'm, I'm, I just said, I'm watching, I'm, I'm going to sit here and watch. And they said, okay. And then they left, you know, they left. Um, but I think people need to stop. I think they stop and they, they need to stop and they need to watch. They need to witness and, and just stand by and not, 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 you know, not inter not interfere if, the, if nothing going on yet, but stop and watch and be, be there and and intervene if something's going on like intervene i mean i know people tried to intervene with george floyd i know they did a lot of people tried to intervene and those two and those other police officers were holding people back so i know there were a lot of people who did that and so that was great and so white people need to do that um more white people need to do that i think we do a lot of walking past things and keeping our eyes in the sky and eyes on the floor um but we also need to talk to each other about this. We need to talk to our kids. Um, we need to have way more conversations about these dangers. Um, I, I was thinking, uh, you know, a friend of mine told me a story about uh, her nephew and um, she gave me permission to t retell the story because it's about, stu it's about stupidity. It's about like just stu stupidity. Um, the, her, her nephew was with his friend who's white and they were in a store and um, the white kid, as a as a joke, put uh, put something from the store in his friend's backpack. Oh. Yeah, oh. and then they left the store, and the store the person in the store came out and said, "Look, you 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 took you stole something," and and so then they 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 detained them and called the they called the police and 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 I and when she told me this, I mean the police came and it 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 turned out okay it was all it was all okay and they it, it turned out fine but I, I was freaking out because that I mean that could have ended that could have ended that kid's life and and the white kid just thought it was nothing funny. he thought it was funny he thought it, he thought it was thought it was nothing and so I mean it's it's that it's that kind of thing that we I mean we we can't we cannot let our we can't let our kids do that kind of thing we can't let them not know enough about the world where they do something where they're not thinking they don't have enough information about the world that they just do something like that and they get somebody killed. 
I had to train my my PE classes when I was teaching at the high school. We go for a, a, a run around the neighborhood. So I would um, call the police station and let them know it's my day to run. I've got a uh, you know, six-foot uh, black male running with us. I had to train all the students to not leave him uh, alone or run. I had to talk to him about do not run without anybody with you. If, any, if a, a police car rolls up, everybody stops, sit down. I drove my car along the way you know behind circling making sure i'm like I, I had to put all this protection in around to run with a black student in shorts around the neighborhood because the police station would get 15 calls about a black kid running through the neighborhood like it's pe it's our date we're we're running this is what he's supposed to be doing and so the lengths to go to to protect our neighborhood protect him protect our school protect uh our lives had i had i not been a black teacher in that school to recognize the neighborhood we're running around he, he wouldn't be alive right now yeah and and then i'm only remember one of five black teachers in the entire district and the only you know pe teacher i'm like come on now all right there where, is where do you think we're living <laughs> when george floyd happened last year actually it was in mod arbery it was right after mod arbery one of my friends who has also adopted black children, um, and that's one of the things we bonded over. Is he's a black man, his wife is white. I mean, he's a white man, his wife is white. And they have two, I wanna say they're like Somali or Ethiopian children, but um, they're twins and they are runners too. And he had never really thought about this before Ahmaud Arbery um, because I mean, there are adoption agencies that do a really good job of preparing. So I want to give a shout out to Amara, Amara Foster Care. They do training of, of transracial families that want to adopt transracially. You have to go through training and you have to be prepared. But most foster to adopt do not do training for parents to help them understand what are, these are the things that you need to be ready for. And so he's a great example of someone who adopted black children with really good intention and um, Right after Ahmad Arbery, I was invited to speak at his church. And I'm emotional. I'm really emotional. And I'm crying when I'm done speaking. And he comes over afterwards and says, oh my gosh, Aaron, I just made a connection. He is a musician and he'd been doing a concert the Friday before. So this was Sunday. So three days before he'd been doing a concert in his backyard, social distance off the, off the balcony. People could just bring out their lawn chairs and spread them out kind of around the neighborhood. And so he's doing this concert and when it's over, this older white man comes up to him and says, hey, I just wanna warn you. Um, I've been seeing these two black children running, these black teens running through the woods behind your house. I think you need to be careful. <laughs> and my friend is like, my friend like had this awakening in that moment. Like, oh my gosh, those are my children. Well, it turns out the man who said that was a former police officer for mm -hmm. our county. And so here's this man, right? And so I have all these thoughts. Are there good police officers? Heck yeah. There are lots of really good people who become officers. Um, and as we have talked about many times before, the stories that we tell about Black people are so pernicious. Yeah, yeah. They're so invasive that and, and I would say this is not just true for police. This is also true for teachers. Uh, it's true for everybody, yes. but yeah. I'm going to use teachers and police in this instance. 
because we all show up in classrooms and all those stories that we've heard our whole lives about black people play out. It's right. True. They it's play true for out. Therapists. It's true for therapists too. Yeah. Yeah. So whoever the adult is, they're showing up with all the crap that's back here. And and then you give somebody a weapon. And I would argue, because I've been teaching for so long, and I know for now you've seen this too, that we are killing children in classrooms too. They just they don't physically die, they but they are emotionally dying, they're spiritually exactly. Mm -hmm. no. And that's that's almost worse. Um, we were listening to a podcast this morning on the way to church, and one of the things that it said is um, learned helplessness. You know, this learned behavior that I can't. And I thought, man, so many of our Black babies and Black families, because of situations, have taken those narratives in too, and now believe those stories about themselves. And so mm -hmm. it's so important that we as educators and parents and, and white folks, if you say you care, so what are you watching on TV? Your children are watching what you watch and whatever you watch, they assume you agree with. Whether you do or not, if you don't talk about it, if you don't interrogate it, what they assume is if you're watching shows where the black people are always the gang bangers or they're always the dumb father who's not smart. In the first or, five minutes. Mm -hmm. Or they're killed right away, right? If that's the only stuff you watch, then you become part of the problem because you are now storing these stories back here. And so, you know, I would invite all of us as parents, um, and I know we do this, we've been doing this since the kids were little. Um, and I know black parents are doing this all the time, but we've got to interrogate the stories. And so, you know, as we watch movies, we're talking about the characters that are in them and why this character is really problematic and why yeah, you know, this character being so narrow and superficial is also really problematic when the white character gets to be fully developed and the black character is just playing a role. The sidekick. So right. Yep. yep. The prop. We, we the go, prop. Yep. Yes. We got to have those stories. And I, I find myself now too, Jen, partly because of you and the work you do is thinking about gender roles and, and what are the stories that we're telling about the LGBTQ community or where are those stories missing? Like I am now thinking about those things in a way that I didn't before. Um, mm. But I would urge white families, like what are the racial narratives that are being upheld in yeah. the news you're listening to and the movies you're watching and the music you're listening to. And um, mm. we can't afford for the life of our children. We can't afford to continue to watch the same stuff and take it in. No. On that note, last week, um, Station 19 was amazing it was amazing the fire if if people didn't watch it watch station 19 last week oh, it was just oh it, i haven't seen it it was incredible it yeah. was incredible yeah okay i'm gonna have to watch that now is it what is it is it on netflix or where is it where can My, I find it's it? uh it's it's a shonda it's a it's on shondaland <laughs> wherever, <laughs> wherever that is i will find it now. i will find it okay 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 I'm going to give a shout out to our new friend, Alicia Wheatley, who's been doing work over in Moses Lake and her um, daughter, one of her baby girls has been, you know, kids listen to what your parents do in the house. And Alicia's been um, teaching and training and shining the light on black brilliance and re-educating um, white folks, all of this. And her little baby girl says, mommy, you must love black people. Oh, yes. Black girl watching her black mommy. So, and I said that right there. Yes. If any, it doesn't, it doesn't even matter what yeah. color you are. 
But if your kids are watching you love black people, yes, and guess what? They will. That's how you pass. And if they're watching you hate black people, that's how you're passing on racism too. What you just said, Aaron. Yes. So I just want to bring that uh, alive. In uh, I mean, a four-year-old can tell. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah, yeah, and I I know that when I walk through stores, and I may have shared this last time we were on, I know I shared it in a keynote this week that when I walk through a store and I see the reaction of a little person, I know if their parents have any black friends or not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know just by watching how they will they hide behind their parents. Mm -hmm. And if, I mean, it's, it's a little different with masks, but let's pretend that it's a year ago before masks. I would smile at kids and if they looked in terror and there are little kids that look mm -hmm. in terror at me, they, they what that tells me is They've already been taught. They've already been taught to be yeah. afraid of me. And yeah. the kids are uh, babies have have racial recognition before they can even speak. They have racial recognition. Yep. It's like looking in the yep. mirror. They're looking at their parents. They're looking at that. It's it's all they already it's it's there. And so it's us adults who assign the meaning meaning to it or the feeling to it because they don't have they don't have that. They're just categorizing and recognizing and all of that that's you know that's that we all do that's normal that's that's part of development but when you start to assign and pull away or turn your nose up mm -hmm. or frown at right you're yeah. assigning value you're assigning that value that's how you're sharing your racism and continuing it on yeah and that's all it takes that's all it takes it, is yeah once or twice be, yeah and it's it's not about you're not nice about you're not you're a mean person it's not even about that it's you are bombarded with those messages uh, every way that you can intake information and then the way you process it and how it comes out is a, is about that. So again, it's challenging. What are you watching? What are you listening to? Who's your news channel? Who Who's in your your phone? What are you looking at at Facebook? All of those things are your, your bubble. And if you haven't popped your bubble to get out of um, everybody who may look the same, think the same as you, then you're just passing that cycle on and on. So that's what challenging it about. So that's how I um, will end on that and not, um, I don't want to you know, glorify black trauma, but ri ri raise up our true story of the resilience and strength and, mm -hmm. and brilliance of black community and black humanity. We don't even get to talk about it. We don't even get to be allowed to be proud of ourselves, our humanity and what we brought um, to the world. So I'm just celebrating all of that. When I, I want to just made me think of a story today. Um, I didn't actually go to church, but I went to the church building and then walked the neighborhood. And um, I went and got James out of church today so we could head home. And as we were walking out, this little white kid, probably about seven years old, he's in front of his family and he says, oh my gosh, your hair is so cool. And I was like, yes, it is. And I and his dad was like, what did he say to you? And he said, he said my hair was cool, because it is. Yeah. And I will always engage kids on that. Um, but last last week, um, I posted about this on Facebook, but I ran into two, the two little kids of the chiropractor who works next door to the coffee shop where I go all the time. These two little toe-headed blonde kids. Um, I think he's in fifth or sixth grade and she's in seventh or eighth grade. They're two years apart. And I probably met them four times, maybe four times. And I walk into the coffee shop and he sees me first and he's, his eyes get big and he's got a big old mask on. His eyes get big and he's like, Miss Erin. And he says my name. 
Miss Erin, you got your hair colored. That is so cool. And then his sister turns around and she's like, Erin, do you know he has the same shorts and t-shirt that you have exactly the same? And I love your hair too. And you know what? I stopped and talked to them. And I, I do love kids. I love kids, as y'all know. But I stopped and talked to those kids probably for another 10 minutes because I know how important it is. I know they live on a farm. I know they are homeschooled right now. I know that they have no contact with other children right now. And so I am, that's my investment right now mm-hmm. in their future. Yeah. As I know that as much as I needed to get to writing my book and as much as I love kids, what I needed to do was write my book at that moment. But, I, you know, I intentionally stayed and engaged those kids and yeah. humanized myself. Now their mom wasn't with them. It was, uh, I'm going to assume their nanny. There was a Latina woman there and there was a white probably early 20s so somehow babysit or something nanny I'm not sure what was happening there but I watched those two ladies like watch me engage these kids for 10 minutes and just eyes big like both of them mm-hmm. trying to figure mm-hmm. out who is this lady <laughs> but I was intentional about that I was intentional about staying with those kids until they left and just continuing to engage and ask because I realized that I have this power of humanizing us bigger than just me it's bigger than just them knowing Aaron right right but if they can really know Aaron that will transfer to the next black woman they meet and the next black man they meet they will have this memory of who I am and so you know sometimes my kids wonder why do you stay so long why do you stay in the, why do you engage because that's part of the teaching mm-hmm. that's part of the teacher is humanizing us Yep, which is why I teach where I do, trying to disrupt that narrative. You and I have got three three decades of relationships. I've got such a bird's eye, beautiful uh, view of students and their families. I've known some students from before birth to graduation, and I can tell you, I students who come to the come to or parents who come to school who are pregnant and those kids are born, they know my voice because I'm, I'm, my voice is in the air being PE and they will run to me, run to my legs because they know my voice. They know that I'm there, that I care, that I love them. They are, um, I'm just doing what our ancestors have done. That's how we turned out of and got out of slavery. So I'm, and it's relationship, it's humanizing. They, um, yeah. It makes me think of um, the kids in Lucy's class. Um, I I I, I purposefully have like paid it really close attention to, um, especially the um, her friends who are black boys. I've been like pay attention to them and like really like kind of want to just meet them and like say like kind of connect with them because the, a lot of the white people around them sort of like just stand off, stand off, and give them space. And, and so I really just want to like connect and like say, Hey, what's up? Not be afraid of them. Not, no one's, I'm not afraid of you. Like, this is ridiculous. Like my boys used to ask, why are they afraid of me? Why, why, why are, you know, how am I explaining? Yeah. Everybody, why does everybody do that to us? Yeah. It's, it's very, it's very strange. Okay. That's heavy (laughs) y'all. All right, let's, let's, let's go. <laughs> That's heavy, heavy. Well, it's been a heavy week, as you said. So um, that discomfort, lean into it. 
learn yeah. from it. Mistake. That's how we learn, folks, is discomfort. Yeah. If it were easy and comfortable, we wouldn't be in this mess right now. So let's just recognize that. And if you can, read Catherine Pugh. She's amazing. She's a Black woman who writes on Medium. She's the one who wrote that, that article. Oh, and good. It, Thank it's you really good. Me. Catherine Pugh. Thank you for clarifying that. Good. Awesome. Well, friends. All right. That was I think that's the end for today. <laughs> I appreciate having the, space, having the space to talk about it all with you and all the things with you and share that with everybody who's listening. That's just, um, it's a blessing to me and I hope that's blessing other people too. And I know it is. So thank you. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Hmm. To find Fernell Miller, look for her at The Root of Us on Facebook and Instagram, as well as LinkedIn, and check out her book, You Are Here, Field Guide for Racial Reality, on the website. If you want to reach Dr. Jensa, you can find them on LinkedIn or at rick13.com. If you're looking for Erin Jones, you can find her on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. You can also purchase a copy of her book she co-authored, Thrive, on Amazon. Until next time, keep talking about all the things.